everyone! Welcome to the sermon podcast from Mount Hope Belmont's location, where each week you'll hear a message designed to help you learn more about God, grow in your love for God and others, so you can go and live a life driven by faith. This series, we will be talking about how God prepares His people. Many times we get so focused on the big, incredible moments in life that we tend to overlook the little moments that shaped those incredible ones. Jeff Mannion says that a remarkable life is built by taking a thousand unremarkable steps. The same can be said when reflecting on our faith and spiritual life. God often works through the day-to-day to prepare His people for the remarkable things in life. Join us for the next few weeks as we look at Scripture and see how God truly prepares His people. a Bible with you today, uh, or if you want to use one of the Bibles that are in the seats in front of you, you're welcome to grab one. We will be in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 16 and 17. We'll be going a little bit back and forth between those chapters. Uh, if you're having uh, trouble finding the page, it's around page 238 to 240 in your seatback Bibles that are there. If you've been with us these past few weeks, we've been talking about this idea of how God prepares people. And as we sit here this morning, I hope that question will be in your mind. Two specific questions. One, what is God asking of me? What is he asking me to do? And number two, how is he preparing me to do it? So two questions. What is God asking me to do? And how is he preparing me to do it? Because I think something we'll find today and over these next couple of weeks is that God doesn't always prepare people in the most obvious of ways that we're used to preparing people. Sometimes he uses more obscure ways to do that. And this specific morning, we'll be looking at the greatest underdog story in history. We'll be talking about the time when a young man had to go up against a giant, and in the process, the fate of two nations would hang in the balance. Two nations would be vying over this one moment. Whoever wins, that nation would win. It was the underdog against the giant. Of course, I'm talking to you this morning about... That's right, I'm talking to you about Rocky IV this morning. That's what we're talking about. We'll try to get to that other story if we have some time today, the second biggest underdog story. Rocky IV, if you haven't seen the film, it's only been about, out for about 35 years, so I hope you'll have a chance to get to it. Rocky IV was one of my favorite movies as a child growing up. Imagine a teenager in New Jersey growing up wondering how the Cold War would end and finding out that Philadelphia's Rocky Balboa would be, the, would be the way that it would ultimately end. Rocky IV, if you haven't seen it, is a film about an underdog. It's about this young man who has the world watching as he goes up against a giant from Russia named Ivan Drago. And the two of them are, are the entire world is watching as the future of two nations hangs in the balance as they go into battle. And everyone loves the Rocky story because it's the ultimate underdog story a shorter young man going up against a giant for the future of the world. Now, here's the thing about Rocky IV that I loved, though. It wasn't so much the big, glorious victory at the end, while that's a big deal, and that was fun to watch. For two hours in that film, you're brought into the life of Rocky Balboa as he prepares for the fight of his life. It's almost two hours of physical and emotional training to get to a point where he could go up against someone that he has no business beating. And here's the thing. We love these big, glorious victories. 
But we seldom take time to look into the preparation that it took to get to that giant, momentous occasion where the victory would take place. And this morning, we're going to take a look into that part. How does God prepare us for the big battles that lay ahead in life? And the more we look at it, and we've been studying it for these past two weeks, is that God doesn't always use the most obvious ways to prepare people the way he needs to. He sometimes uses the ordinary, the obscure, the mundane, the menial, the regular things in life to get us ready for those big moments. And this morning, we're going to look in the life of the other big underdog in history, and that would be David versus Goliath. In 1 Samuel chapter 16 and 17, we're introduced to this young man named David. Now, you might know this story, but if you don't, let me give you a little background so that we can pre- prepare to see how God himself was preparing David for this monumental occasion. Back before the story of David begins, there's a man named Samuel in the Old Testament. Now, Samuel was appointed to be the prophet, the judge over Israel. He was seen as the leader of God's people. And as Samuel aged and Samuel was getting older, the elders of Israel came to Samuel and they said to him, Samuel, what's our succession plan here? You are old. In fact, that's the phrase they use. You are old. What are we going to do when you're gone from this earth? And they looked to Samuel's sons and they said, look, Samuel, your sons are corrupt. They accept bribes. They're not good people. They are in no position to take over once you've departed. Give us a king to rule over us like the other nations have. And Samuel went to God, and God said to Samuel very clearly, you do not want a king. These people don't want a king. They want a king because everyone else around them has a king. But here's what happens when a king comes into power, and Samuel communicates this to the people of Israel. If a king comes into power, he will realize he's a king, and he will treat you accordingly. He will tax you. He will draft your young men into his armies. He will take your young women into his, into his palaces. A king becomes a king and realizes he's a king. And so God warns the people, you don't want a king. But the people of Israel just keep complaining about it. And they whine and they tell him, no, Samuel, we want a king like the people around us do. And God relents and says, okay, you can have a king. And the first king that's appointed over Israel is a man named Saul, a man who shortly, over a short period of time in his life, turns from God, realizes he's king, And over a short amount of time, the Spirit of God leaves him as well, and Samuel is now left to be the king over Israel without the Spirit of God. Then the people come back again. What do we do next? What's going to happen next if if Saul has already left, if the Spirit of God has left Saul? We need another succession plan. And that's where we come into this home in the city of Bethlehem, which will be important because a couple of thousand years later, another king would be born in that same city, and I hope to speak about him a little bit later today as well. In this city of Bethlehem, Samuel comes to the house of a man named Jesse, and he walks in to anoint the next king or select the next king over all of Israel. And God puts Samuel in that home and says to him, Samuel, walk into the house and anoint the next king of Israel. Samuel walks in. He sees Jesse's oldest son, Eliab, this man that looks the part of a king. He walks up to him and he's ready to select him and anoint him the next king of Israel. And God says to him, no, Samuel, he is not the one I've selected. And then Samuel goes to the next son, the next son, the next son. He goes through seven of Jesse's sons. And each time God says, that's not the one that I have selected. So Samuel asks Jesse this question, a clumsy question. Do you have any more sons? 
And Jesse responds like this, why, yes, we do. I have one more son, the youngest. He is in the wilderness tending the sheep. Now, I want you to understand, the youngest was about 10 to 12 years old. He's out tending sheep, and he would one day bring Goliath down. How did God prepare that boy? This morning, when we look into how God prepares people, we're going to look at the life of a shepherd boy named David, a 12-year-old boy who in the course of the next five years would bring Goliath down, in the course of the next 20 years or so would become the king over all of Israel, the king that God had selected, a king after God's own heart. We'll talk a little bit about the process that David goes through to get there. A process that might not seem obvious to us because here's how we typically prepare people. We give them obvious tasks for obvious jobs. If I'm going to prepare someone to be a teacher, if I'm going to prepare someone to be king, I will give them obvious ways to get them into that role. But this morning we'll start to see that God often prepares people in obscurity. When no one is watching, when you're out tending sheep by yourself in a wilderness, that God will often prepare people in that way. There are three specific things that I'd like us to see that David was prepared to do. Three things that God was doing in David's life to prepare him for the moment when he would face Goliath and ultimately be king over all of Israel. The first thing I want us to take a look at this morning is the fact that David was often overlooked. David was often overlooked. If you look at the story of David, you'll realize quickly that David has a tendency to get overlooked. Samuel walks into Jesse's house, and David is overlooked when Samuel goes right for the oldest brother. Jesse, his own father, overlooks him because Jesse assumes, I have seven other sons who are more qualified than this youngest one who's tending the sheep, and Jesse overlooks him. David one day walks out into a battlefield, and his own brother will come to him and say, why are you out here, and starts to curse at David because he overlooks him for simply not being qualified for the task at hand. King Saul would say like this in 1 Samuel chapter 17. He says specifically to David, when David says, put me into the battle, he says, Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. Everyone overlooks David. How many of you sitting here today have been overlooked in your life before? Maybe overlooked at work, overlooked in your family, you've been rejected, a door's been closed in your life, and somewhere along the way you've been overlooked and not realized that that might be the way that God has been preparing you for what he's called you for. Because if you think about how you would prepare a king, if you would think about the way to prepare a warrior, this would be one of the last ways you would possibly do it, by overlooking that person. If you've ever been overlooked, and I know that feeling, there's a couple of natural reactions we likely have. Number one, I would think if I'm overlooked, I'm either going to feel sorry for myself, or I'm going to be angry with the person who overlooked me. But God is preparing something in David. He's allowing David to be overlooked time and time and time again, not so that he can develop in him a reaction to feel sorry for myself or to feel angry and bitter toward the person who overlooked me, but so that David would realize that no matter how much someone else overlooks me, there is still a God who sees me. 
And here's where God is preparing David to be the king over Israel. Because if I was preparing a king, here's how I would do it. I'd put him through some sort of royal internship program. I'd have him learn governance and taxation and military skill. I would have him learn all those things, make him assistant to the regional king at some point. I would allow him to train as a king before becoming king. But here's how God did it. God put David in situations where he was constantly overlooked, where people were not paying attention to him, where he was alone, where he had to simply know that even though no one else sees me, God sees me. Here's what happens when you are overlooked and God is preparing you through being overlooked. You start to develop a God perspective. You start to see the world the way God sees the world. You start to see your situations the way God sees them, not the way you see them. Because most of us, when we're overlooked, feel sorry for ourselves or hate the people who overlooked us. But David, we'll see in Scripture, it gets overlooked time and time and time again. And every single time, the God perspective kicks in and he starts to see the situation from God's eyes. And he starts to say, it doesn't matter that these people overlook me. God is still in control in this situation. And so time and time again, God allows David to be overlooked so that in the right moment, even when his enemy overlooks him, he would be prepared for that moment. Because here's what happens. 1 Samuel chapter 17, it's not just David's brother. It's not just Jesse. It's not just Samuel. It's not just King Saul that overlooks David. A nine-and-a-half-foot-tall man one day approaches him in 1 Samuel 17 and overlooks him. Here's how Goliath says. Goliath looks David up and down, and he says like this. He saw that this, man, this little man was more than just a boy. Was, he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and Goliath, he despised him. And Goliath says to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David gets overlooked by Goliath. But here's the thing about how God was preparing David. God had been preparing him to be overlooked over and over and over again. So when Goliath tries to overlook David, does David get intimidated by Goliath? David's thinking, I've been here before. I understand what it feels like to be overlooked. God prepared me by allowing me to be overlooked time and time again. So when you overlook me, it makes no difference, Goliath, because my God perspective will kick in. And I don't see the situation as a nine and a half foot tall giant against a 17-year-old boy. I see the situation as a nine and a half foot tall giant against an almighty God. That's a very different perspective. And that perspective was developed by being overlooked over and over and over again. What is God doing in this season right now where you are being overlooked? Where you're thinking in your heart and your mind, I should have gotten that promotion. I should have that job. I should be there right now. I should be getting the glory and the fame right now. In that season, what is God preparing in you? Because he prepared a king using that method. What is he preparing in you? I think all too often we see these moments when we're overlooked and we separate it from God. I was overlooked because I have a bad boss. I was overlooked because my family members don't appreciate me. And we refuse to see what God is doing in our lives in these ordinary, menial, regular moments of life. David didn't make that mistake. 
David understood something in his God perspective. David was selected to be king, and it's important to recognize he was selected to be king around the age of 12. He would not ascend to the throne until the age of 30. Something like 18 years would pass where David would have to learn this lesson over and over and over again that even when man overlooks you, God is preparing something in you. So he was overlooked, but what else was God doing in David's preparation? I believe David was overlooked, but I believe David was also constantly isolated. David was constantly isolated. If you think about what happens in David's life, this is what I love about the way God prepares David. God selects David to be the next king over Israel, and does God put David on the throne the next day? For almost 18 years, God lets David be alone a lot, isolated, away from everyone else. In fact, this is what David says in 1 Samuel chapter 16. He says it like this. Are these all the sons you have? And Jesse responds like this. They're still the youngest. He is tending the sheep. But David said to Saul, and you see this in 1 Samuel chapter 17, you see, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. What was David doing when everyone else was getting him ready to be king or thinking about him as the next king? God put him back in the wilderness, in the desert, tending some sheep. If you want to think about the loneliest jobs in the world, tending sheep is probably one of them. For weeks at a time, you would go off into the desert, into a pasture land or a wilderness, and just be with sheep all day and all night. And in our minds, it makes no sense. Why would God prepare a king by letting him be alone? And here's what the way I look at it. Here's one way a writer talks about it. David gets anointed to be king, and the very next day, God puts him back in the wilderness with sheep. A couple of weeks later, he is bearing armor for King Saul. A couple of months later or years later, he is just bringing food and delivering food for his brothers. There is nothing about David's life that seems to move forward towards being king. But that same writer puts it this way. David's life keeps going further and further back. It's like an archer holding an arrow. The further back you pull it, the further out it goes forward because of how much God was preparing him in that season of going backward. David is isolated. He's by himself with a bunch of sheep. But here's what happens when you're by yourself. And if you look throughout Scripture, God prepares people in isolation. He prepares them alone with God in obscurity. David, as a shepherd, would be sitting in the wilderness during the day and night, and he would have no one to commune with except God. He would look up into the skies and he'd be able to write things like this in the future. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows its handiwork. He would be able to talk about the greatness of God's creation because he was alone with God developing that skill. He would develop the skill of playing music in isolation, the skill of writing songs, many that we sing even to this day thousands of years later. David would write those songs in isolation in a wilderness. He would learn to use a sling and a stone. All of these skills would be developed in isolation alone with God. But more than that, I believe God was developing something else in David. He was developing a supernatural trust in God during that season. This ability to trust God no matter what the situation presented, no matter who it was or what came against him, David was learning to trust God. Being overlooked gave David a God, reflex, a God perspective, but being isolated gave him a God reflex. 
this reflex that would go towards God no matter what the situation was that came against him. In good times, you'll see in David's life, he turns to God. When sin would impact his life, you'll see David turns to God. In bad times, David would turn to God. It was this reflex that was developed in isolation. So I ask you this morning, what is God doing in this season of isolation in your life right now? And for some of you, that isolation can be just being alone a lot during the day or during the night. It could be a season of not having a lot of people to commune with or talk with daily. Or it could simply be that you have more free time right now. What is God doing in this season? What is he preparing in you? Is he giving you this opportunity to develop a closer relationship with him during this time? Because that's what he used to develop a king. That's what he used to develop a warrior was alone time in the wilderness, alone with God. David would go on to write songs like, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly will I seek you. My soul longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. David was developing in isolation a ridiculous amount of trust in God because that's all he had in those seasons. So what is God doing in this season of isolation? Is he developing a reflex in you towards God? Because here's what I've found in my times of isolation, my times of being alone or lonely. Here's what I've found. I tend to trust myself more in those times. And if we're honest, I think a lot of us would say the same thing. I trust myself more when I don't have the next solution or the next thing to do. I trust myself more. I should go and do this. David was learning to trust God more in those seasons, to have a reflex that trusted God. Would another 80s movie reference help us to make this point? Because I've got plenty of them. Let's take a look at this film over here from 1985, The Karate Kid 1, which was one of my favorite movies. In The Karate Kid, again, you see this amazing victory at the end of the movie. This amazing victory where an underdog, this boy named Daniel LaRusso from New Jersey, moves to California and wins this All-Valley Karate Championship. Sorry to ruin it if you haven't seen this one, too. <laughs> wins this title at the end. But again, what was happening throughout the film is also important. Here's a young boy training to win against all odds and his teacher, a gentleman named Mr. Miyagi, starts to train him. He doesn't use obvious methods. He doesn't have Daniel lift weights. He doesn't have Daniel train as a karate instructor should train a young student. Instead, he has Daniel wax his cars in a certain motion over and over again, to paint his fence in a certain motion over and over again, to sand his floors in a certain motion over and over again. And throughout the movie, Daniel does not understand, why would you train me this way? What are you doing in my life? But this menial, ordinary task was training in Daniel a reflex, that if a stimulus came at you in a certain direction, your hands would be able to move in that certain direction. This is what God is doing in David's life. Little by little, giving him ordinary situations, being isolated with sheep, being overlooked by family members, working your job day in and day out, giving him ordinary moments to develop in him a reflex that no matter what comes at me, my body, my mind, my heart will move in a direction toward God. One day when David would become king, this would become dramatically important in his life. One day when he stood up against Goliath, this would be dramatically important in his life because here's something that we often overlook. 
David walks out in that day when he battles Goliath, and he's overlooked by Goliath. But does anyone else realize that he's also isolated against Goliath? God had trained this young man in isolation so that in the moment of this giant battle, he would know what it felt like to be isolated, alone with God, ready to know that God would fight on his behalf. He needed him to understand that, so he put him in ordinary situations to bring about this reflex in his life. It's like a, a group of sprinters running in the Olympics. As soon as that gun goes off, it's about 0.1 second before the muscles start to twitch in their legs and they're off the starting block. That reflex is built over time, and in David's life, that reflex was built in isolation. So I ask you this morning, which way do you reflex in situations in life? When something comes up, a good situation, a bad situation, do you reflex toward God or do you reflex away from God? Which way are you going in those moments? Because God prepared a king by reflexing him toward God in those moments. And the problem is so many of us, we take the ordinary situations of life and we separate them from God. God is not developing me at my job. God is not developing me in my commute. God is not developing me the way I drive and the way I deal with my family and friends. He only develops me in those big, giant moments when the Red Sea parts and it's clear that God was doing something there. Could he be using the ordinary things of life? A couple of months ago, I shared with you that my wife and I had made the big move of switching cell phone providers, and I shared this story with you guys a little bit here, but if you don't remember the story, I talked about how for about 11 hours, we sat on the phone with a company trying to switch cell phone providers. Now, I didn't want to badmouth a company. We'll just call them KT&T. That way, you'll never know who I'm talking about. This company... This company just thought for 11 hours they can keep this couple on the phone and just uh, the line would go for about 15, 20 minutes of being on hold or 40 minutes on hold and then disconnect. And now we'd have to make the phone call again. And in my heart, it's I can't wait to get the next person on the phone so that I can give them a piece of my mind so that I can take it out on them. But could God be using this ordinary moment to develop in me patience? Could he be using this seemingly mundane, everyday task to teach me how to have patience, to teach me to be long-suffering towards someone, to be a little more persevering towards other people? I say yes. He does it in David's life over and over again. Now, could it be the ordinary situations at work are meant to develop us? The ordinary frustrations are meant to develop us? Because here's how I look at it. If God wanted to teach me patience, would he send me to a bunch of classes about patience? I don't think so. I think he'd put me in ordinary situations where patience could be developed. If he wanted to teach me faith, would he have me listen to a bunch of sermons on faith? I think that's a part of it. But I think ultimately he would put me in situations where my faith could actually be exercised and developed over time. And in David's life, he develops a warrior and a king in isolation by putting him in situations where he would have no other choice but to trust God. Here's what David's preparation is all about. The overlooking, the isolation is all about this, that God sometimes puts us in ordinary situations to develop in us an extraordinary trust in him. I'll say that again. God will often put us in ordinary situations to develop within us an extraordinary trust in him. What is God doing through your commute? What is he doing at work right now? 
What is he doing in your family? What is he doing through this trial that you're facing right now, this big issue in your life, this sickness that's come upon you? What is he developing in you? Because for many of us, the reflex is to go towards myself in those moments. And God is saying, maybe this is an opportunity for you to turn back to me in this moment. I think David's preparation was far more than just being overlooked and being isolated. I think there was one other thing that David constantly faced, and that was that he was outmatched. He was overlooked, he was isolated, and he was regularly outmatched. Here's how he puts it in 1 Samuel chapter 17 when he comes to King Saul and he says, put me in the battle, I will fight Goliath. And Saul overlooks David, but David says like this, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. Let's stop there for a second. It's so easy to overlook this verse, by the way. Do we see what David is doing in that moment when he is seemingly outmatched? Any shepherd in his right mind would do one simple thing. If a lion or a bear comes at my sheep, I either run away or I will protect the other sheep. He got his one, he won't get the others. That's the farthest I'll go. David says, I have a different perspective, I have a different reflex, so even when I was seemingly outmatched, your servant, look what he says, I went after it, I struck it, and I rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, I struck it, and I killed it. Let's not forget, we're talking about a lion here. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. Even his trash talk points to God. David is so overwhelmed and obsessed with this God perspective and this God reflex that was developed in isolation that no matter what comes against him, he still sees God in that situation. A lion and a bear could not overwhelm David because David knew who was with him. It was a perspective, a reflex that was developed over time in his life. So when he was outmatched, it never bothered him because he still recognized who was with him in the battle. In fact, if you look at the way that 1 Samuel 17 talks about it, it says there like this that King Saul, so the king of the army of Israel, and his armies were dismayed and terrified at the sight of the giant. But if you look at the scripture following, it says David was offended at the sight of the giant. That's a different perspective. That's a very different way of looking at this moment. It doesn't matter how outmatched I may appear. I know who is with me. And some of us sitting here right now are completely outmatched in the situations that we're facing in life. There is no way that I can solve this or get through this unless God shows up and gets me through this. So many of us have gone through that. So many of us are experiencing it right now. But I believe that God prepares many of us in situations where there is no chance, there is no way to victory except through Him so that our trust will be developed further in God through that situation. What outmatches you today right now? What seemingly you have no way of beating today? And watch how God develops in you a greater trust in him using that situation, using that moment. David was put in situations, a lion and a bear, 
put in situations where he had no chance at victory unless he trusted God. This same David would go on to write things like this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. In isolation, David was able to develop this incredible trust in God because he was constantly overmatched and he had to put his trust in God in those situations. David would one day go on to write things like this in Psalm 27, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I be afraid? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I fear? It's this idea of even when evildoers and enemies surround me, it doesn't matter because God is still with me. The armies of Israel saw a nine and a half foot tall man walk into the middle of a valley and taunt against them. David saw a nine and a half foot tall weakling against a giant God in that moment. What is it that you are outmatched by this morning? What is it that you have no way of defeating this morning? Because the story of David can easily be translated into go after the Goliaths in your life and go and beat them. But I think the story of David is actually this. No matter what the situation is, what is God developing in you in that situation, and what is he asking you to do with that development? What is he preparing in you as a result of that trust? Because here's something that David would have to learn. David, one day you will be a king. But remember, David, you will never be the king. The king is still in control. The king is ultimately in charge of what happens in this world. And while you may be a king, you will never be the king. So you have to learn where you will put your trust. And David learned that by being overlooked, by being isolated, by being outmatched over and over again. And if you look at the rest of David's life, he is put in so many situations where he could have easily switched it around, easily confused who the king is and who a king is. He could have easily done that. But in isolation, by being overlooked, by being outmatched, David had developed an extraordinary trust in God. And then he used that trust in God. When he sinned, he trusted in God. When he won, he trusted in God. When he lost, he trusted in God. He was able to use what God had developed in him in isolation. Let me ask you today, how many of you have a gift card in your wallet or your purse? How many of you have a gift card? You can raise your hand. Keep your hands up if you do. How long has that gift card been sitting in your wallet or your purse? Uh, If it's been there for more than six months, keep your hand up. If you've had a gift card in your wallet, almost everyone... How many of you have had a gift card for more than a year in your wallet or purse? Wow. Two years? Anyone? Still some hands up. Five years? Anyone? You're really hoping for Toys R Us to come back or something, right? So what happened there? Some of you have had a gift card. When we were in Burlington a couple weeks ago, one gentleman had a gift card for more than 10 years in his wallet. What happened there? If you think about this, and here's the truth of all over the United States, over $50 billion of unused dollars have been left on gift cards since 2005. $50 billion. What happened there? Someone selected that card. Someone filled it with capability and potential, and then it went unused. If you think about it, this is kind of our stories right there. God selects us, chooses us, loves us, gives us his son to die for us. 
and fills us with all of this capability and potential that comes from years of being overlooked or isolated or outmatched or whatever experiences, the ordinary experiences that he's blessed you with to develop in you potential and capability. And then we never use it. Because in our minds, in our hearts, we separate the ordinary from the extraordinary that God is doing. We separate the two. But let me ask you this morning, could it be that God is using your job, your career, to instill in you leadership skills or public speaking capabilities or financial stewardship capabilities to one day bless his kingdom? Could he be using your commute to develop in you patience? to develop in you faith, to develop in you a trust in God or quiet time to spend in his presence? Could he be using the relationships at your work right now and at your school and in your family to develop a network that will one day connect people to God the best? Could he be using the ordinary? Could he be using the season of your life where you are watching your children or watching your grandchildren to develop in you a love and a childlike faith in this time? Could he be using this as a chance for you to take something that God has given you and point it in the direction of God? Because when we separate the ordinary from God, we're missing what God is doing. He prepared a king using the ordinary. What is he preparing in your life and in my life right now? David was prepared to fight Goliath in the ordinary, mundane tasks of being a shepherd. The ordinary, regular, everyday task of going to work and being faithful there. Of taking care of his family, his brothers, and being faithful there. Here's what ends up happening in David's story, and I think it's, it's important for us to remember. One day David ever faithful, ever consistent, is out watching his father's sheep when he gets a message that I need you to take some food to your brothers who are out on the battlefield. David gets the message, ever faithful, ever consistent. David goes, brings food to his brothers. And as he's approaching this valley, as he's approaching this area, he sees one army on one hillside and another army on another hillside. David approaches with the food and a giant, a nine and a half foot tall champion of Gath, comes down and he starts to taunt the armies of God. He starts to curse at them and call them names and tries to break them up and break their, shake their confidence. David's God perspective kicks in. David's God reflex kicks in and David responds to the challenge. He goes to the king eventually and he tells him, put me into the battle, I will fight him. And he justifies his existence before the king. The king finally relents and sends David into the battle. This nine and a half foot tall giant against this 17-year-old shepherd boy, the odds seem stacked against the shepherd boy. But every one of those skills, the skill with the sling that was developed in isolation, the faith and the trust that was developed in isolation starts to kick in and a God reflex takes over. David, a 17-year-old old shepherd boy goes up against a nine and a half foot tall man and with one swing of his sling he brings that giant down and wins the battle for God how is that possible because if you look in the moment in the moment David not only was a shepherd boy with a sling David was a boy over the course of years who had been overlooked who had been isolated who had been outmatched and here he comes against Goliath overlooked isolated and outmatched 
And there is no way Goliath stands a chance because David's God reflex kicks in and David understands that even if I walk through this valley of shadow of death, I will fear nothing because God is with me. What is God developing in you right now? In this season of being overlooked, isolated, and outmatched, what is he developing in you right now? As our worship team comes forward and as we prepare to close out our service this morning, I ask you to think about what God has been doing in your life. What has he done in the past that brought you to this moment right now? And has he been using the ordinary things of life to get you ready for where he has you next? I think we often separate the supernatural. We separate the extraordinary from the ordinary because clearly God wouldn't use those things to develop me. He used those things to develop a king. What is he using in your life? Because here's what I love about David's story. He wasn't quiet about what God had developed in him. This same David would go on to write some of the most incredible songs and poems in the book of Psalms that we see. Uh, Verses like this, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on my lips. He would say like this, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who puts his trust in him. David would say things like this, Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. This same David, in isolation, as a shepherd, would one day say, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. You heard it a minute ago. How was Susanna Coe able to say that the Lord is my shepherd unless David was able to say it first? unless God developed in him an extraordinary trust in isolation that would one day bless millions all over the world. What is he doing in the ordinary areas of your life right now? I invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads this morning. It's so easy to misunderstand the story of David and Goliath. To think that It's a story about facing our giants with courage or it's about overcoming fear. The truth is it's not even a story about an underdog going against a giant. It's about a surrendered person allowing God to develop him in obscurity for his glory. Because God sometimes lets ordinary things come into our lives to develop in us an extraordinary trust in him. I love this about the David story is that right after he defeats Goliath, the nations start to sing songs about him, almost worshiping David. But does David ascend to the throne after defeating Goliath? No. For almost 13 more years, David would go on the run. He would go living in fear. He would live in obscurity, constantly overlooked, constantly isolated, constantly outmatched. But the same God who had developed him in those ways continued to stand with him in those areas. What is God doing in your life? What is he asking you to do and how is he preparing you to do it? Will you join me in prayer? God, I just thank you again for every life that is here this morning. Those of us who understand what you have for us next and understand where you want us to go next and for the rest of us, who are struggling with that question. I don't know where I go next, what I do next, how I serve God, or how I live my life. 
I don't even understand tomorrow because of this diagnosis in my life or this sickness, this trial that I'm facing in my life. God, you developed a king in obscure situations, in ordinary, everyday life situations. God, help us not to ignore how you're doing that in our lives even now. God, speak to us this week as we go. I pray that you would open up ways for us to understand, God, this is you at work in my life. When ordinary situations arise, God, help us not to ignore them, but to recognize that you could be developing in us an extraordinary trust in you. God, speak to us now. Help us, Lord God, to worship you as you deserve this morning and to put our trust in you in the week ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location. At Mount Hope, we gather in Belmont every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 10.45 a.m. and in Burlington at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Each week that we gather, we do so to learn more about God, grow in our love of Him and others, and then we go to live lives driven by faith. If you live in the Burlington or Belmont, Massachusetts areas, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday. You can learn more about us by visiting our website at mounthope.org, M-O-U-N-T-H-O-P-E dot O-R-G, or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Belmont. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to having you listen again next week.